And I know that if I was a parent up there, I would be beside myself that my kids' health could be at risk. From Pacifica Radio in sunny Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. Out in Honolulu, no, Hawaii, there we go, 88.5 KAKU, the voice of Maui. There we are, AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And on 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who, if my calculations are correct, are smack dab in the middle of the target zone for the upcoming blizzard. Better get some supplies, Lancaster. Also heard coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. And yes, a severe winter storm is now starting to form in uh, in parts of Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky. It's moving towards the mid-Atlantic on, uh, on Friday and into the weekend, so buckle up peoples of Lancaster and uh, New York and Washington, D.C., because the National Weather Service has now added New York City and the uh, area around there to a blizzard watch that is already in place for D.C. Some areas could see as much as two feet of snow in this monster storm, Desi Doyen? Yeah, I actually saw one that predicted a possibility of 30 inches, which is almost, not quite, three feet. Wow. So were you just, you know, rubbing their faces in it when you said, greetings from sunny Los Angeles? Well, I, you know, I didn't mean to, but I guess I kind of <laughs> was, uh, didn't I? Yeah. It is a really nice yeah, day. Yeah, it has That's gotten true. warm for the first time uh, in, a, in a few weeks out here. But uh, but don't mention that. Don't mention that when we okay. go live on the Shh. air. Oh, wait. <laughs> Uh, Desi Doyen, uh, you'll also be uh, joining us a little bit later in the program uh, with the Green News Report and uh, the surprise, not really, but the surprise that 2015 was the hottest year ever recorded on planet Earth. Also, uh, we've got uh, some news uh, from Rick Snyder up in Flint, Michigan, and we're going to talk more about that momentarily New York breaks up with coal. Denmark sets a new world wind power record and more bad news for big oil. All of that ahead on our latest Green News Report with Desi Doyen. Stay tuned. Yes, do. And also this just in, and it'll have to be a teaser because I got to go study it during the break. But uh, new Iowa polling news for you coming up in a bit. And frankly, some of it is kind of amazing. 
uh, if it can be believed. Uh, this is both uh, amazing, both on the Republican and the Democratic side in this new poll. So that will be coming up shortly as well. But first, uh, earlier this week in his State of the State address, Michigan's Republican Governor Rick Snyder finally apologized for failing the people of Flint in the wake of the 2014 decision to change the city's water source from Lake Huron, which was coming in via Detroit, to the Flint River without taking adequate measures to treat the water before it was used by the city's 100,000-plus residents. That, that lack of treatment, which would have cost about $100 a day, resulted, as you now know, in the corrosive Flint River water leaching lead from the pipes into the drinking and cooking and bathing water supplies. Lead poisoning can, of course, lead to permanent physical and neurological damage, especially to young children. And the Snyder administration has been exceedingly slow in dealing with the problem at all in fixing the corroded pipes, in getting fresh water and water filters to the city, and frankly, even acknowledging at all that there was a problem with the water in Flint. Now, uh, to the contrary, his administration, in fact, spent many months downplaying and even concealing concerns about the water, telling residents literally to relax about those concerns over lead poisoning. During his State of the State address, uh, uh, Snyder promised about $28 million to deal with the immediate concerns, and uh, he now continues to seek more money from both state and federal government in the wake of this epic man-made disaster in Flint, Michigan. He also promised to release his emails during that speech, uh, his emails that dealt with the Flint water issues, uh, though not those emails of his staffers. On Wednesday, Snyder released more than 270 pages of his emails. According to AP's review so far, a day after doctors reported high levels of lead in Flint children, Governor Rick Snyder's top aide told him that the, quote, real responsibility for the city's water issues rested with local government officials. That's what the emails show. Uh, then Chief of Staff Dennis Muchmore later told the governor that residents were, quote, caught in a swirl of misinformation about lead contamination and that it was up to the city and county leaders to confront the issue, according to those emails. Of, quote, of course, some of the Flint people respond by looking for someone to blame instead of working to reduce anxiety, much more wrote. We can't tolerate increased lead levels in any event, but it's really the city's water system that needs to deal with it, not apparently the uh, the state government. In a September 25 email, much more said he could not, quote, figure out why the state is responsible. According to Muchmore's emails to Snyder, officials at the Department of Environmental Quality, that's the uh, State uh, Department of Environmental Quality and the Department of Health and Human Services, felt some people in Flint were trying to turn the lead issue into, quote, a political football, claiming the agencies were underestimating the dangers and trying to shift responsibility to the state. Even now... More than a year since the decision was made to switch the water supply, though it's it's now uh, been finally switched back to Lake Huron, the damage to the water pipes has left Flint residents unable to drink unfiltered tap water. Earlier this week, Flint, Michigan resident and novelist Connor Coyne, who is also a stay-at-home dad looking after two young children, 
wrote a detailed piece on the water crisis in Flint, arguing that the focus by much of the national media has been wrong from the jump and that it may have been that lack of pinpointing blame for this tragedy that resulted in the absurdly slow reaction to the various, very obvious problem by state officials, obvious at least uh, to state, uh, uh, to, I'm sorry, to Flint residents who knew early on that their discolored and foul-smelling and even abrasive drinking and bathing water was not right. There was uh, one reference to some of these concerns, these people in Flint as the in, in these emails as the, quote, anti-everything people dismissing their concerns. Joining us now to uh, to talk about this is Connor Coyne. As I say, he's a writer and a novelist and a stay-at-home dad. He maintains his own website at connorcoin.com and he can also be found on Facebooks and the Twitters. Uh, Connor Coyne, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. I uh, really appreciate it. There's so much in your article at Vox.com, uh, headlined, Flint, Michigan's Water Crisis, What the National Media Got Wrong. So much I want to talk to you about there, but, uh, well, I was going to say before we get to it, uh, I wanted to talk about your kids, but those are mentioned in, in uh, your kids are mentioned in the story as well. So first off, how are you guys doing? How are you and your kids doing? I know you've got two young uh, daughters, I think. Uh, how are you guys doing, and, and what are you drinking at this point in Flint? Well, uh, compared to uh, a lot of, compared to most of our friends and neighbors, mm -hmm. we're actually doing pretty well. Our, our scenario is, is, is just about the best of anybody's. Uh, there's, there's a certain amount of anxiety, and that's, that's just un, unescapable, and we'll mm -hmm. certainly be looking very closely in the years to come uh, to make sure that they don't have any, any symptoms. Of, uh, but uh, we, uh, about, about a year after the, actually about eight months after the water was switched over, uh, there was, uh, there was a, a mailing from the city saying that, the, that because they had um, higher levels of a contaminant called trihalomethanes, mm -hmm. it had violated the Clean Water Act. This was before it came to light that there was lead in the water. And so at that point, we stopped giving them any, uh, any of the tap water for drinking, and that was a relatively early shift for us. So we're hoping that, you know, between that and, uh, and you know, the other precautions we've been able to take that, that they're going to be just fine, and they, they seem to be so far. Have, have they been tested? Uh, have the kids been tested for lead poisoning? Yes, yes, they've been tested, and they did just fine. Okay. Um, however, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's all uh, the science and the, the, the medical background is, is so complex, so mm -hmm. you can't keep learning about it. Uh, one thing which, which has kind of, you know, been discussed more recently is the limitations of the lead blood test, that they're, they basically uh, can measure... Uh, lead that you would have ingested within the last 30 days, but if you had ingested lead earlier than that, then it's out of your bloodstream and mm. it's already sort of lodged where it lodges. So, mm. um, so it, it's it's nothing is is definitive, and in a way, that's that's part of what makes this such a scary experience for all of us. Is we don't know now, and really will not know for quite some time, how extensive the damage is. 
Uh, you say you uh, received the letter uh, about the trihalomethanes. Uh, was that the first you had heard of this problem, or were you able to, uh, you know, we see now these uh, you know, video of, of the dark water, which is actually, as I understand it, not lead but iron that is leached into the pipes. Uh, but w- did you notice the problem? Could you see it? Could you uh, smell it or feel it when you bathed or showered before, the, uh, before you were contacted by officials? There were a few things that we noticed, um, and, and, and in our house, the water has remained fairly clear. Um, my wife noticed a change in the taste. Mm-hmm. I did not notice that. Um, uh, we all noticed that our, our dishwasher was not working as well. It, it was, it was, the water was much more hard and, and, and sort of mineral-rich, and so it didn't, uh, it didn't clean nearly as well. The showers, the tubs, the sinks, everything got dirty and crusty much more quickly than it had before. Um, but see, see, part and it's 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 kind of the sort of you know intimate detail that that gets kind of lost in some of the national coverage of it um, of, of of this event is it, it's it's been one thing after another from the start. Mm-hmm. The discoloration for a lot of people started immediately after the shift uh, that summer and fall. There were E. coli boil notices, some going on for over a week and taking in pretty much half of the city's area. Then after that, it was the trihalomethanes. And then they had just started saying that that situation was getting under control when, uh, when the lead scare sort of popped up. Mm. So, so, you know, it, and, and of course, lead is, a, is the one that's the most devastating, so yeah. it's the one that, that we're the most worried about. But, you know, I don't think there's been a day that the city's been on Flint River water that it hasn't been causing serious issues for people. And how long was it uh, between the time that they switched to the Flint River water before you got any uh, notice from uh, officials that there was something here to be concerned about? Well, the first notice was uh, about the trihalomethane, Mm -hmm. and that went out in December of 2014. So it would have been about eight months after the switch. So you guys had been drinking that uh, without, I presume, without filters uh, for those eight months. Uh, is it now safe for, uh, uh, I know you're using filtered water, but is it safe for bathing and showering at this point? Well, the way we do it in our family, and everybody has kind of, you know, everybody's had to kind of figure out a strategy for their own water. We do use the tap water for bathing. Mm-hmm. It's 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 simply just about unavoidable to do otherwise, yeah. but... Uh, we also, it, it's kind of, it, it, it's kind of surreal because, you know, bath time with our daughters was always, you know, one of the, it was a very peaceful sort of calming end to the evening. And it's turned mm-hmm. into, you know, one of the most stressful parts of the day because you want to make sure that they don't drink any of the water that they're in. Right. And, uh, and, and so, you know, yeah. th- that's sort of the way that's been. But that's pretty much, as far as they're concerned, the only thing that they use the water for at all anymore. Now, your article at Vox.com, Connor Coyne, touches on, uh, as I said, quite a few issues, but it focuses on the fact that, uh, frankly, the point that caught my eye when I first heard about this story, when I first heard that there was a problem in Flint with switching the water, because I have been looking at this emergency manager system in Michigan for years, actually just absolutely amazed by it, and as soon as I heard about the problem in Flint, I thought, oh, my, oh man, is, was this a decision made by the emergency managers, not by the actual city officials, the emergency managers appointed by the state uh, uh, to replace, essentially, to replace the local government by, uh, by fiat? 
You say that uh, the mainstream media has been missing the issue, has not been focusing enough on that emergency management system. Uh, And you say that that was the immediate cause of the problem. Can you give me a summary of the way that this played out as far as, you know, when Snyder's hand appointed emergency manager came to town and, and essentially ended up either agreeing or forcing this change on the Flint water system, depending on uh, on, on who you listen to and, and how you look at it. Right, and I, I, I think that there will be a lot more known about the specifics of that as, uh, as these emails Snyder has released are reviewed and as more of them come out. Um, but as far as the basic facts, mm-hmm. you know, that the, that the city, that the state, excuse me, um, created this, you know, in, in my opinion, absolutely atrocious law, which allowed them to completely step in, take over a city, disincorporate it if they want, suspend local government, which pretty much every emergency manager appointed at any city of Michigan did as their very first step. You know, they, they basically said, we know better than you. We're going to run your cities. We're going to make them work right. Um, and so even if we didn't add anything else to the mix, other than that, even if it, that's where, where things were left standing, how do, you, how do you sidestep responsibility when you have basically voided residents' uh, preference for their local, mm-hmm. the local government? Um, we get more into the particulars, though, and their excuses, I don't think, really hold up any better there. Um, they have tried, meaning uh, emergency manager Darnell Early in particular has been outspoken. He was the one who uh, presided over the switch to the river water. He has ref- referred to a vote uh, by the Flint City Council to participate in, it was called the Karagandi Water Authority, mm-hmm. to build a pipeline from Flint to uh, Lake Huron that would be independent of Detroit water system. Flint was looking, uh, Flint, Flint had been looking uh, prior to the emergency manager even coming to the uh, to the city. They had been looking to switch their water contract because they felt they were being charged exorbitant rates by uh, by the Detroit water system. Is, is that, do I understand that correctly? Yes, that's, that's actually a very, very good summary. So the city and was already looking to move the water, but then what happened once the emergency manager came to town? Well, uh, Basically, uh, basically, that that vote passed. Um, the emergency manager at the time, Ed Kurtz, approved it. Um, Detroit canceled the remainder of their contract, and then Darnell Early, the subsequent emergency manager, signed the order to switch to River Water. Now, Early has claimed in uh, in an op-ed in the Detroit News mm-hmm. that. They were one and the same, that the switch to move to this water authority was also uh, linked to the choice to participate in river water. But in the case of the first, you find the city council vote. In the case of the second, you find uh, basically uh, his policy signed by the emergency manager, which, which basically enacted that, that change of our water source. Mm-hmm. And it and it was done essentially uh, without the okay. They had okayed the plan to move, but not the actual implementation and the way it was implemented. As I mentioned in the uh, in the introduction, for a very few dollars, they could have treated that uh, that Flint River water uh, to take out the corrosive elements. 
But this guy said, no, we're just going to do it. We're going to do it this way. And there was no oversight. There was no the checks and balances are gone in the emergency manager system. You write about, uh, for example, uh, well, this well, a couple of points you write. Uh, you say that even in 2015, when the city council voted seven to one to return to the Detroit water system after the problems began to emerge, that that decision was vetoed by the state's emergency manager, Jerry Ambrose, who called the vote incomprehensible. And that was after they had already discovered, was that after they had discovered the trihalomethanes in the water, that they voted to, to go back to the Detroit uh, water system? That was about five months after the trihalomethanes and close to a year after the boil notices. Mm-hmm. And, and so he certainly knew by then that there was a problem, uh, and yet he he described it as incomprehensible, and he vetoed, the seven-to-one decision by the city council. These guys, these emergency managers, have apparently this power to act by fiat. Uh, I mean, if this was done anywhere else, you know, if this was a, frankly, a democratic governor uh, overrule, you know, putting somebody in place in a in a conservative town and saying, "Hey, our rule goes. We are canceling the mayor. We are canceling the city council." Then, you know, Republicans, Tea Partiers, etc., would call it tyranny because in fact this time it actually is Uh, you write at vox uh, connor coin by empowering an unelected official with virtually unchecked local power the state did not obtain the right to set uh, did not just obtain the right to set local policy but also stripped residents of much influence over their elected representatives indeed campaign aides working for local elected officials told me that they had been pressured by the state to enforce the priorities of the managers or face an indefinite continuation of the state takeover. And you write, you add, I cannot conceive that the Flint River water experiment would have lasted a full year had Flint residents been able to threaten incumbents at the ballot box. In other words, it didn't matter what you guys did, who you guys voted in or out. It was still going to be Rick Snyder's uh, hand-selected emergency manager making any and all decisions they wanted. Is that correct? Yeah, that that's that is correct. And and you know uh, the, uh, the the drama that's playing out with the Detroit public schools right now mm-hmm. is happening under the same the same system. The same, in fact, actually, it's the same emergency manager Darnell right. Early who mm-hmm. signed over on the switch to use the Flint River water, he is now the emergency manager of the Detroit public schools where, you know, there are mushrooms growing in the halls. Well, yes, what could possibly go wrong? Let's put that guy in charge of the entire yeah, Detroit. Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Ha, do you find now, uh, Connor, that the um, media has begun to understand this, the national media? Are they now adequately focusing on that problem yet, or... Uh, you know, uh, uh, Snyder in his State of the State address said government failed you, which when I heard that line, uh, yeah, in this case, uh, the government to some extent did fail them, but not necessarily a democratically elected government. It sounded right. a lot like, you know, Ronald Reagan's, uh, you know, government is the problem. In yeah. fact, it's not government. It was Rick Snyder's government. He blamed uh, he said there was federal and state and local officials at fault. Uh, what did you think when you when you heard that? Do you is there in fact enough blame to go around to all of those other agencies? Um, I, I think that there's sort of a hierarchy of, of, of blame, and, and definitely the largest share I think goes directly to the governors. It, it goes 
the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, which, you know, doctored data and basically violated, uh, you know, the laws requiring the, them to put in the anti-corrosive, they get a huge chunk of it. But the Snyder administration also gets, gets a lot for basically implementing this emergency manager system. And, and, you know, I think that they are far more culpable than, than anybody above or below them in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and is the media, are the media starting to understand that, or are we still at the point where it's it's unclear what happened here? We don't know who to blame, as far they're, as you see it. Yeah, they're they're doing they're doing better. There's been been progress. Um, there's been more discussion of the MDEQ, uh, partly because I think people really want to know the technical aspects of you know how did we get from A to B a bit. Uh, I wish there was more discussion of the emergency manager system, and you know, hopefully there will be more of that going forward. I, I think a, a, you know, a very desired outcome of, of all of this would be to 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 see that that system kind of cease because Flint and Flint may be the most the most dramatic example of that system having gone wrong. Mm-hmm. But I can't. I think about you know all of the cities that have been under emergency managers. You know, Pontiac, Detroit course you know it, it hasn't really gone right anywhere they would point to Detroit as being their their alleged success story but even there you've got thousands and thousands of residents who are having their water shut off probably illegally and to such an extent that it prompted a United Nations inquiry so emergency management just it doesn't work ethically but it, it, it also doesn't work practically it just flat out does not work and it does simply does not work democratically, small d democratically. I mean, that yeah. is not how, I, you know, I suspect if, if states, other states, Michigan and other states, you know, have this sort of emergency manager, uh, you know, law in place, it is meant for a real emergency. You know, a bomb goes off in the state or, you know, the city officials yeah. are no longer even capable of showing up to work. But uh, that's not how it was used by Rick Snyder. And uh, it was, as I said, used just to replace democratically elected town councils, mayors, uh, officials of all levels. Uh, so that was bad enough. But then the voters came in this across the entire state back in uh, 2012. I believe it was a citizen's veto at the ballot box that did away yeah. with the emergency manager rule after several years of, of Snyder using it. Uh, and and it was celebrated because yay we finally got rid of this uh, this terrible law the voters do not want it and then what happened Connor uh, they passed an almost identical bill Public Act four thirty six except <laughs> it's an appropriation they uh, provided in the in the in the new bill to uh, pay the emergency managers from state funds and under any Michigan law uh, if you have a refer uh, excuse me if you have an appropriation uh, you cannot repeal it by referendum. So this new law, there's no way for the voters to overturn it. That could only be done by the legislature. It's, you know, it is really, it is just amazing. And I hate to keep harping on this, but we hear, you know, for years now, particularly since uh, Barack Obama has been in office, we have heard from people on the right about tyranny, that, uh, you know, the local government, small government knows best, etc. And yet, We've had this thing going on in Michigan by a Republican uh, governor since he was elected and started doing this all over the state. Uh, 
and and there has never been. Well, actually, let me ask you, because I can't tell if it was simply bad national coverage, uh, not reporting on what, what has actually been going on on the ground in these various cities where he's put this emergency manager in place. Uh, but there never seemed to be the hue and cry that I might have expected almost anywhere else, you know, if an entirely Democratic elected, uh, democratically elected governor was deposed. Uh, I know that that would be regarded as tyranny, as I said, and rightfully. So if a Democratic governor did this, you would see riots in the street. Now, is this a matter of bad national coverage as far as... Uh, you know, not telling us what's actually going on in Michigan or have the citizens of these towns kind of accepted this emergency management system to uh, to some extent in response to years of, you know, ineffective local government and so forth. What's the real story there? Well, um, my opinion is that it's more it's more the first uh, one could certainly point to some evidence for both. For example, to your second point, voter turnout has been worse and worse and worse since uh, emergency managers, for example. Um, but I, I, I think because though, people don't feel their vote matters, and well, in this exactly. case, they're right. Exactly. I, yeah. Exactly. I think I think what 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 is apparent to me, and it's and this might be partly baked in as somebody who grew up in Flint, but uh, there's a national narrative about about Flint as being a failed industrial city, a city that is in permanent. Uh, decline. And so anytime any news comes out of Flint, uh, a lot of times, not just readers, uh, but, but a lot of reporters come in looking to see how, uh, looking for the municipal dysfunction. So if you were a reporter from, say, the Washington Post, which wrote an article last December, which didn't even mention the words emergency manager, mm-hmm. looking to cover, uh, you know, the water crisis in Flint, it, it, it it's not going to perhaps occur to you to look at the fault at the, the, uh, the, the state government. You know, you're going to come in, you're going to see the abandoned houses, you're going to hear about, you know, the homicide rate, and you're going to conclude that this is a messed up place that where, you know, nobody can do anything right. The, the, the real situation is much more uh, complex, and I think that when the national media appreciates that, they report... Uh, much more effectively on things happening, not just in Flint, but really in any of these any of these industrial cities. You uh, you note in your article at Vox that uh, there was a Newsweek article from just October of 2015, uh, after a lot of this had already begun to come out. The headline: Flint, the cheapskate city that poisoned its children. Yes, it's all the, it's all Flint's fault. Uh, yeah. New York Times uh, said that to Flint's mayor Dale, uh, Dane Walling. Uh, who's no longer in office, as I understand it. But uh, he had attended a 2014 event to celebrate the switch to the new water supply. Uh, But the Times did not mention that it was the emergency manager who actually signed on for the switch and was also present at that same event. Connor, I've got just a minute or two left here. Uh, Two points I want to get to very quickly. Uh, Snyder. Governor Snyder apologized profusely during his State of the State address earlier this week. Do you accept that apology? Do you believe he means it? And uh, is he now finally doing everything within his power to fix the problem that his own administration caused, as you see it, as a Flint resident? Well, I don't think they're doing everything they need to do yet. Uh, You know, they need to refund all the money that they've charged us, you know, typically like $130, $140 a month to purchase water we can't drink. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it, they, they, there's a lot that they need to do. They need to release more emails. They need to mobilize further, you know. But it, as far as the sincerity of his apology, I mean, that's between him and God. I really don't care. I really don't care. I, I guess I hope he's sincere, but I want clean, healthy, safe water flowing through my pipes yesterday. And, and you know, that's, that's what I care about. I know you had uh, wanted to mention uh, FlintKids.org, uh, which is a, a community foundation of, uh, of Greater Flint. They are helping to subsidize medical expenses now for the poison kids in Flint? Yes. There's a, a, a lot of places now where you can help us out, where you know people have been buying, buying and sending waters or filters or, or stuff like that. But I think that the, the, the most important uh, issue to to confront here is Flint now has hundreds, possibly thousands, of kids who are going to be dealing with the consequence of this crisis for the rest of their lives. I mean, they could live to be 90 years old. They could move anywhere in the world. They're going to be dealing with lead poisoning their entire lives. And uh, so, you know, if there's one organization I'd like to give a boost to, and it's the organization that, you know, my family has, has given to, it's... Uh, it's this FlintKids.org. Um, it's very reputable, and it is starting to, to try to, to, to build uh, that medical support that, that these kids are going to need. You can help them out at FlintKids.org. Uh, it's very easy to go on over there, uh, get a sense of what's going on, and, and donate to this ongoing effort. The fact that it uh, takes community donations instead of the state coming in, frankly, at this point, with uh, Mack trucks full of money. Uh, is is just appalling. Connor Coyne, uh, great article. Thank you for that uh, uh, coverage. A lot of interesting details that I did not know. People can find it over at Vox.com. Flint, Michigan, water crisis, what the national media got wrong. And you can find Connor at his own website and 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 buy a couple of his novels uh, at uh, Connor Coyne, that's C-O-Y-N-E.com. ConnorCoyne.com. And you can follow him on the Facebooks and the Twitters as well, at Connor Coyne. Uh, Connor, great talking to you. Uh, please stay in touch as this goes forward. Uh, boy, oh boy, I hope things get better there soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for taking time with us. All right, a quick break. And we are back with more broadcast right after this, including these amazing new numbers out of Iowa. Uh, maybe this will cheer us all up, or maybe it won't. Uh, stay tuned. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. There's an eye. 
already cheered up. Some uh, Broadway show tunes uh, about Iowa. Well, you know, that'll cheer me up. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Um, We have been talking over the last few days. I had mentioned uh, this new poll from NBC News uh, and Wall Street Journal showing that Republicans are warming up to Donald Trump. And, uh, well, some new poll numbers out of Iowa concerning Trump and concerning Bernie Sanders uh, are really, really interesting. But in general, uh, before I get to those Iowa numbers, the idea that uh, Republicans who were just appalled by Donald Trump since he announced that he was getting into the race, was it last summer? I think, yeah, last summer. Well, it was a long time ago now. Uh, you know, we knew right away, actually, that he was going to do very, very well among the electorate. But the GOP establishment, they didn't get it. They didn't get it at all. And there were a lot of people, a lot of Republicans, uh, who also pretended they didn't get it. But they're getting it now. As I warned you, they would. I had mentioned in this poll that now 65 percent of Republican voters, this is nationally, could see themselves supporting Trump. And that was a new high as of uh, as of last week. And in a three way contest between Trump and Cruz and Marco Rubio, Trump came out on top. So, you know, clearly, at least the Republican voters are warming up to Donald Trump, even if the GOP establishment didn't seem to be at first. But now that seems to be changing as well as Ted Cruz is becoming more and more uh, Donald Trump's main rival. Well, now the GOP establishment is speaking out and they're they're making a choice because I got a choice here, at least as they seem to see it between Trump and Cruz. And guess what? They're choosing uh, they're choosing Trump. This is according to uh, Ryan Grimm and Sam Stein over at Huffington Post. The GOP establishment has found one thing that can make Donald Trump palatable, and that is Ted Cruz. Quote, Cruz has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in D.C., whereas Trump hasn't. And Trump up until this year was pretty much a player, said Craig Shirley, a longtime GOP strategist and charter member of the establishment. Ultimately, The Washington establishment deep down, he says, although they find Trump tacky or distasteful, they think that they ultimately can work with him. Deep down, a lot of people think that what Trump is doing is an act. So now the GOP establishment is warming up to Trump. Uh, Nobody likes him, said uh, GOP graybeard Bob Dole, as they call him. This was uh, published in the New York Times on Wednesday. Bob Dole coming out and saying that nobody likes him. The uh, the GOP, the failed GOP candidate from 1996. Gosh, that was a while right? ago, 1996, wasn't it? yeah. And he, nobody likes Ted Cruz. Nobody likes what Ted. What is up with that? Well, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, former Republican uh, Senate Majority Leader Trent Lott also said that he would take Trump over Cruz. That comes after Iowa Governor Terry Branstad, the longest-serving governor in the nation, broke his long-standing neutrality, uh, as he's normally uh, neutral in you know, just before the Iowa caucuses. We're one week away from the Iowa caucuses now. Uh, he encouraged caucus-goers to vote against Texas Senator Ted Cruz. That, in turn, came after Senator John McCain, the party's 2008 presidential nominee, said that there were issues over whether Cruz was even eligible for for the presidency. So Trump, the national frontrunner, with just weeks before voting begins, 
it still doesn't have a single endorsement from a sitting member of Congress, but the retired Republican class that no longer has to face a primary or is in office for good, like Terry Branstad, they have begun to speak their mind. They have begun to make their choice, and Trump is the beneficiary of that. So uh, a longtime GOP hand who was active in the 2016 elections uh, said that, uh, according to Huffington Post, that there is a feeling that with Trump, it's easier for House and Senate candidates to separate themselves from him from the top of the ticket versus a fellow senator and particularly one who's running a hard right campaign with no apparent desire to outreach to independents and minorities. What they're doing is they're looking at the ticket. They're looking at the rest of the ticket. They're saying, look, if we're going to lose, let's at least not lose the Senate and the House and state races. And they think to that end, they will somehow be able to do better with Donald Trump because they can say, well, he's not one of us. Uh, you know, you can still vote for us. Plausible deniability correct, of the sort. Kind of, yeah. Uh, one uh, GOP uh, uh, establishment guy who they don't quote here says, I'm rooting for Hillary. She can't win a mandate, so we hold the House and don't get slaughtered in the Senate. We'll have a great midterm in 2018 running against her. He says, we are gr a great opposition party. So that's the, uh, uh, the GOP establishment now warming up to them, although... You know, mostly retired officials or, or people who won't go on uh, on record uh, with their name. But he is now the darling of the GOP establishment, but not just the retired ones. R CNN. This is just before air here today, says, I think we'll lose if uh, Senator Ted Cruz is our nominee, according to Orrin Hatch, the most senior Republican in the Senate. And Ted Cruz's colleague. colleague yes. <laughs> oh, man. Large number of GOP senators now say Cruz's divisive tactics, which have included describing his colleagues as part of a uh, corrupt Washington cartel, that that will make it hard, if not impossible, to get behind him if he's the nominee. Senator uh, Indiana Senator Dan Coats says it would be a major challenge because of the wounds that are deep. Challenge to support his colleague, Ted Cruz. Uh, Hatch, uh, Orrin Hatch said, I've come around a little bit on Trump. I'm not so sure we'd lose if he's our nominee because he's appealing to people who a lot of Republican candidates have not appealed to in the past. So there you go. Uh, well, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham, who is now a Bush supporter, he has recently dropped out of the race. He said of Cruz, his ability to grow the vote of the Republican Party is almost zero, though he added that uh, when he was asked if he preferred Trump over Cruz, he said it's a lot like being poisoned or shot. I think you get the same result. So there you go. But they are warming up to uh, to Donald Trump. He very well may, may be, as I have warned you for a long time, he very well may be the nominee for the Republican Party. Now, the one place he was not doing well was in Iowa. That is all. All bets are now off, it seems, in Iowa. The polls are going a little bit back and forth, but Donald Trump is clearly closing the gap against Ted Cruz, who had been leading in Iowa. Trump is pretty much crushing everyone everywhere else. But now, according to a new poll from CNN, uh, he owns Iowa. Donald Trump now owns Iowa as well. Donald Trump holds a commanding lead in Iowa, they say, as Senator Bernie Sanders also now takes control of the Democratic race in the critical first-in-the-nation voting state. This, according to the new CNN ORC poll released today. Trump now leads uh, Ted Cruz, who is in second place, 
37 to 26. Almost nine. Well, no, that's 11 points above uh, Senator Ted Cruz, if you believe this poll. Marco Rubio is down at uh, in third place at 14. He's the only other Republican in double digits. Meanwhile, for Bernie Sanders, he has opened up an eight point lead over Democratic rival Hillary Clinton, leading her now in Iowa 51 to 43 among likely Democratic presidential caucus goers. Now, uh, you may have heard uh, these numbers are all over the place from uh, depending on which poll you uh, listen to, depending on which poll you believe. But the thing to remember about these polls is that they all use a different uh, uh, sampling uh, data. In other words, they used to be just polling uh, voters in general. Now they're looking at likely voters. And now in Iowa, they're looking at likely caucus goers based on if they have voted in caucuses before. So, for example, if you only include voters who have previously caucused in their party's most recent competitive caucus in Iowa, Cruz is still neck and neck with Trump. So people who have done this before, who know how to caucus in Iowa, if that's the case, we're in a dead heat uh, by and large in the state of Iowa on the Republican side with 30 percent for Cruz, 28 percent for Trump. Uh, On the Democratic side, those who have caucused uh, in, in 2008, Clinton leads Sanders 55 to 38. So that's almost a complete reversal from the numbers for what they're considering likely Democratic presidential caucus goers, where uh, Sanders is now crushing Hillary Clinton. But when you look at people who have done this before, Hillary Clinton comes out on top, according to this new poll, 55 uh, substantially on top, 55 to 38. So can uh, Bernie Sanders mobilize new caucus voters Well, if all of the people who tell CNN ORC that they are likely going to participate in the caucus, if all of those people actually show up, that will give Bernie Sanders a huge advantage. And it also suggests, frankly, that Bernie Sanders will be bringing a lot of people into the system, into the voting system that have not participated in the past before. So. Very interesting what's going on right now in uh, in the state of Iowa. And, of course, all bets are off once people start voting. The one uh, the one upside about Iowa and the voting that will happen there is that it is amongst the most transparent of any of the voting that is going to take place over the next uh, several months during the primary and then in the general election in Iowa, as we talked about before. A little different for Democrats and Republicans, but uh, on the on the Republican side, they pretty much uh, they vote on paper ballots. Those paper ballots are then counted at the caucus uh, site in front of everyone before those numbers are then sent to the Republican Party to be reported nationally. And it is because of that transparency and that publicly those publicly hand counted votes that we later found out that, you know what, uh, actually Rick Santorum won back in 2012. It wasn't Mitt Romney, as the Republican Party had uh, had announced on uh, on caucus night. So public oversight made the difference in the uh, in the Republican Party back in 2012 in Iowa. And of course, there were no uh, competitive caucuses for the Democrats as uh, Barack Obama was running for reelection in 2012. But the way the Democrats do it is they essentially 
they get actually into rooms, into living rooms at about uh, 1,700 different sites around the uh, around the state and they stand in a corner of the room with the rest of their supporters and if uh, a candidate does not have enough supporters does not have 15 percent then their supporters gets to decide if they want to join one of the other groups etc etc but it's all very uh, very very transparent at least we can uh, we can see how it's done voters can see how it's done and make sure that it's done correctly so very interesting. I need to get to one more story here, and I know I got to get to a break. But we had mentioned um, uh, Sarah Palin and her, uh, well, a her endorsement of Trump a couple of nights ago. B her failure to show up for a, a Trump rally the next morning for some mysterious reason in Iowa. Both both in Iowa, and then finally she did show up with him again in Oklahoma. One of the reasons it's speculated that she did not show up. At that second rally on Wednesday morning with Donald Trump was because her son, Track Palin, 26 years old, was arrested after uh, punching his girlfriend in the face and holding an AR-15 to his head reportedly and threatening to kill himself. He was charged on uh, uh, domestic violence uh, charges. Well, Sarah Palin uh, came out and spoke to that on Wednesday in Tulsa. And, of course, she blamed Obama. She said, what my son is going through, what he is uh, uh, going through now, coming back from Iraq, where he had uh, spent a year after enlisting, he spent a year in Iraq in 2007, by the way. Uh, What he is going through coming back, I can relate to other families who feel ramifications of PTSD and some of the woundedness, that's the word she used, that our soldiers do return with. She said, and it makes me realize more than ever, it is now or never for the sake of America's finest that we have that commander in chief who will respect them and honor them. Because, of course, as she's suggesting, uh, Barack Obama doesn't. So it's Barack Obama's fault that her son has PTSD. Her son was arrested uh, and charged with domestic violence, uh, of, uh, d- domestic violence assault on a female interfering with a report of domestic violence and possession of a weapon while intoxicated. Paul Rykoff, who leads the nonpartisan Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, IAVA, didn't care for the comments. Uh, he said it's not President Obama's fault that Sarah Palin's son has PTSD. He said this is a great opportunity for Sarah Palin to sound the alarm about PTSD. Now that she has endorsed Mr. Trump, I would encourage her to talk with him about it. Mr. Trump's campaign is pretty light on specifics about what he would do for veterans. Rykoff urged Palin to resist the urge to politicize PTSD and added, I hope this doesn't become a political chew toy in a political campaign. Over at Vote Vets, another nonpartisan organization for veterans, John Soltz said, uh, Sarah, who? <laughs> he said, the group recognizes uh, half term governors and epic political flameouts who misuse the platform they've been given by making ludicrous partisan charges about a serious issue. The group recognizes that they aren't worthy of a serious response, half-term governors and so forth. So there you go. That's how the vets are responding to Sarah Palin blaming Barack Obama for her son being arrested for domestic violence. Quick break, and we are back with the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. 
still, as ever, melting for Desi Doyen and the Green <laughs> News Report. And as usual, when we get to you, we're running late. Yes. So we better get to it. Our latest Green News Report. Uh, 2015 was by far the more mysterious in the record, uh, beating 2014, uh, which was the previous record. Surprise! 2015 was the hottest year ever recorded on planet Earth. I'm sorry, most of all, that I let you down. You deserve better. Michigan Governor Rick Snyder apologizes and promises action for the lead-poisoned residents of Flint. Denmark sets a new world wind power record. Plus, been a rough start for the year for crude oil by all accounts. More bad news for big oil. All of that bad news and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. A North Carolina town bans solar farms after residents argue that solar panels might cause cancer. You know what else might cause cancer? The 200 billion cigarettes North Carolina produces each year. Oh yeah, there's that. A real danger. So let's ban solar instead. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, very, very good news this weekend for climate change deniers. Oh, you mean that gigantic snowstorm that's about to smack the East Coast? Yes, absolutely. A huge storm coming into the East Coast. Tons of snow. I can already see Fox News and their snarky comments about what global warming. Look at all the snow outside. They're so predictable. They are, except when it comes to things that can actually be predicted like 2015 being the hottest year ever recorded on planet Earth. But before we get to that and a bunch of other news stories, you have a correction to make. Yes, a very quick correction. In our last report, I inaccurately said President Obama's pause in the federal mine lease program applied to coal and oil, but the review applies only to new coal leases, not to oil and gas, at least not yet. At least not yet. Thank you for making that correction. And now on to the planet's top story. 2015 was the hottest year in recorded history since record-keeping began in the 1880s. That's according to new data released by both NASA and NOAA. The new record breaks the previous record set just last year by a large margin, the widest margin on record. So that means that 2015 set the record for setting records. It was a record record. Yes, and surprisingly, the El Nino weather event in the Pacific wasn't necessary to get there, according to Gavin Schmidt, NASA's chief scientist. 2015 was was the warmest year because it was warm throughout the year. And even though it's kind of picking up that El Nino assist in the last three months, uh, even without El Nino, this would have been uh, the warmest year on record. Schmidt also said that 2016 is shaping up to also be extremely warm and could possibly break the 2015 record. That would be three years in a row of the hottest years ever recorded. That would be unprecedented in human history. That's right. Well, not that we've been warning everybody about that for, what, six or seven years now? Michigan's Republican governor, Rick Snyder, once a rising star in the Republican Party, apologized again in his State of the State speech on Tuesday for his administration's failure to deal with the water-lead contamination crisis in Flint, Michigan. To you, the people of Flint, I say tonight, as I have before, I am sorry and I will fix it. No citizen of this great state should endure this kind of catastrophe. Government failed you, federal, state, and local leaders, by breaking the trust you placed in us. 
Among a number of actions, Snyder promised to mobilize $28 million in new state funding for emergency water distribution, repairs, and medical monitoring. Long term, he pledged to repair Flint's now ruined water infrastructure and address long term health and neurological impacts of lead exposure on Flint's children. Snyder conceded that his administration mishandled the crisis in which Flint residents drank and bathed in water dangerously contaminated with lead for more than a year before officials finally took action. But it is important to note that unlike what Governor Snyder said, local leaders were not at fault. The water crisis was caused by an unelected emergency manager appointed by Governor Snyder who switched Flint's water source to cut costs. Has Rick Snyder resigned yet? No, he has not. Just asking. Bad news for big oil. California Attorney General Kamala Harris is now investigating oil giant ExxonMobil over whether the company lied to investors and the public about the risks to its business from climate change in the wake of published reports revealing Exxon executives were warned as early as 1977 that burning fossil fuels would cause dangerous global warming, but instead they spent millions denying that fact for decades. Global oil prices continue to slide, closing below $28 a barrel, the lowest since 2003. Oil has fallen more than 25% so far this year amid a global oil supply glut, which has severely impacted markets. Finally, New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that New York will eliminate coal as a source of electricity in the state by 2020. And Denmark does it again. Denmark set a new world wind power record, generating more than 40% of its total electricity demand for the year from clean wind power over 2015. Way to go, Denmark. Way to go, New York. For much more on all of the stories we covered today and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Everyone knows it's windy. And windy has stormy. Yep. Going to be windy on the uh, on the East Coast this weekend. Buckle up out there, guys. Stay safe. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest today, Connor Coyne of Flint, Michigan. Check out his work at ConnorCoyne.com. And, of course, uh, feel free to, uh, to help the folks out over at FlintKids.org. If you missed any portion of our program today, you can download it as always at bradblog.com and at iTunes. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the TheBradBlog. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.